Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much that when we get off the rails and when at times we move on and it seems like in our life you maybe have moved away and and then it's so easy for us to lose that intimacy and closeness and and then when you come to us to pull us back you do so out of incredible love again and again you reach out you reach beyond our sin with incredible grace so thank you and we would ask that you would be here take the words that you've placed on my heart and and I pray breathe your life and spirit into them In Jesus' name, amen. As a parent, I had the opportunity to be present when my daughters were born. And I remember specifically my first daughter, Kelsey, being born. And I I went through all that kind of Lamaze training. Any guys go through all that? I wonder now why. Um, It would have happened without me. Uh, But I wasn't real good on the rhythm kind of thing of the four, three, two, one, three, two, one. You remember that? You know, or it's something breathing somewhere in there, I think. Anyway, and I remember at a certain point, because my wife is really a good musician, has great beats, so she should have been doing it herself. Anyway, um, I wasn't able to, you know, four, three, two, one, two, two, one, you know, and she finally just goes, stop it. I move off to the side. All this to tell you that um, it was a really difficult um, and long labor. But when my daughter was born, they took her over. They did what they needed to do. They wrapped her up and they gave her to me. And I held this bundle of life. As many of you have done. Physical life. And I remember many times from that point on, with both my daughters, in prayer, in reflection, at different points in their life, thinking, what is it I want this physical life to be formed into? What are my hopes and my dreams and desires that so that someday, when this life walks upon a platform and graduates from a school, and someday, um, if God so wills, I'm sitting in the first row and my daughters um, standing there next to the person that they've chosen to give their life to. Who am I giving away? What has my life done? What do I hope to see accomplished and developed in the lives that I've been responsible for? Ever thought that? Every one of us, every one of us, I don't care if you're a parent, grandparent, if you haven't had children, we have the ability to influence lives. We have the ability to see physical life and say, God, how can I be used to form what it is you want in their life? Not to look at people as it's just merely friends to have a relationship with. Not merely to look at people as someone that we use to get some things that we want. That's not what life is about. Life is about relationships, sharing it. And in our hearts, hopefully, thinking what is good and best for the other, that they may be formed into something. The person you work next to. Maybe a friend or a neighbor. 
Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe you are in some ways a spiritual father or mother to someone. What's a good goal? What is it that you would want? Some of your parents, what were some of the things when you looked at your child? What is it, just one word, that you, maybe just give me a word of what you would like to have seen. Believer. Kind. Humble. Responsible. Generous. Well, you could go on and on. You could talk about being secure, bold, having a sense of of self-awareness, reliable, patient, filled with joy. What's really interesting is when you look at Paul, the apostle, and and you think about what he desired for his spiritual children, for those that he would have an influence on in, in the days that he had to live. This is what he says. If you turn to Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul has a goal in mind for everyone. And it really should challenge us to think about what, what do I have in mind for myself and what do I have in mind for those around me that I am to influence? It's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day living to, to, you know, to make the dollar and to, to do the things that are before us and all these things. But do we have within our hearts this desire to see something formed in someone else or formed in ourselves? So in chapter 4, verses 12 through 20, Paul has spent three chapters, beginning with chapters 1 and 2, um, pleading with them that he is truly apostle and the gospel that he is bringing to them is truly the gospel. It's authentic and he goes through that historically. Then he begins in chapters um, three and into four, he starts talking about um, the fact that he wants them to know this truth and he outlines it and describes it. And at this point, Paul gets personal. And in a sense, I want to get personal with you to think about some very important things about the goal that you have in your life and the goals that you might have for others around you. Paul moves from being a doctrinal scholar in verse 12, to a personal friend. He uses the word Adelphoi, which means literally brothers. I plead with you. A very general term for brothers. A very affectionate term in the sense of brothers. This, I, I'm, I'm no longer talking to you as a scholar and this rabbi teacher, but as a brother. And then he moves also in verse 19 from an apostle to being a parent. He says, no longer am I going to approach you on the sense that I'm this apostle, but I want to talk to you as a parent. When he begins it, he says, my dear children, which are the very words that the apostle John would use so often in his letters. It was this affectionate, loving term of a parent to a child that says, children, I want to talk to you about something. And so he moves from this logical teacher to a caring parent, and he addresses them as a father with a, with a, a heart full of compassion like a mother. Verses 17 and 18, he uses the word envy, which can be translated jealous or zealous, which probably is more close to the word. But the word literally means to court as to marry. Someone you are affectionately, zealously after for the purpose of being united. And so he says, those people are zealous, according you to marry you in order to win you over, but for no good. These false teachers, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous, courting them to marry them, to be united to them. In verse 18, it is fine to be courted and to be married, to be united, provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My, my purpose, Paul says, is not just to, to when I'm with you. That you, that you understand and, and recognize how deeply I love you. I'm not there 
just to use you and then go away. You know what that feels like, right? Someone who's just there, they're, they're buttering up to you, they're flattering you, they're doing these things in order to get something. And Paul says, that's not me. In a sense, he's saying like a parent to a, to a child, I care who courts you. Not because I selfishly want to hold on to you and can't let you go. I just want you to be courted by someone who sincerely loves you. And not by someone who courts you for selfish motives. So let me tell you what my motive is. Let me state it up front. Let's get really personal, Paul says. My dear children, verse 19. For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Every word you shared with me a moment ago. And the words that I shared. All those words can be embodied by Jesus Christ. Just imagine if Jesus, his character, was formed in us in such a way that we were ruled by the law of love through the Holy Spirit. What would our, our community would be incredible. People would want to experience that kind of loving relationship that comes through being like Jesus. And that's what Paul says. That's really what I want. I'm not after you for anything else. I'm not trying to build followers. I'm not trying to do all these things. I just want you, as a child to a parent, I'm courting you in order to be united with you for one sole purpose, that you will be formed, and in you will be formed Christ. Not just faith in God, but I want to see the faith of God in you. There's a difference. I don't want just to see love for God in your heart. I want to see the love of God expressed through you. I don't want to see you just looking to truth. I want to see you actually walking in it and expressing it. I don't want you just to experience God's grace. I want you to be in in a, a literal expression of the grace of God. And so he's making this statement, that's what my heart is for you. He says it another way in Colossians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. He says, we proclaim Jesus, he's talking now to the church at Colossae, admonishing and teaching with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. The word perfection or perfect in that means mature, complete, full. That the fullness of God which resided in Jesus would be residing in you. And then he says in Colossians, to this end, I labor struggling. He he puts two words together. I, I struggle with everything in me and with all the energy that comes from God, which is so powerfully working in me, so that you'll become like this. That's a pretty worthy goal. But that's the goal that we have. That's my heart and my desire as a pastor, as elders, That's our heart, I believe, as a church, is that people will someday be presented as maturely and as as fully and completely with Jesus established in them so that all the fruits of the Holy Spirit are living in you. So how do you do that? Paul makes some basic points. He says, first of all, in verses 8 through 11, he, he rehearses again what he's already talked about about 11 times, but he has to say it again. He says it begins with a birth. 
It begins with an awakening and an understanding of the fact that the relationship I'm calling you into is not to a bunch of rules and to a bunch of laws and to a bunch of religious rituals. I'm calling you into a relationship with a living God who has shown himself through Jesus Christ and in that gives you his Holy Spirit so that you can have this personal growing relationship with him. And then he says in verses 12 through 16, Not only do I understand and you need to understand how it begins, that it begins with this personal relationship, but you also need to know that if you want others to be like that, you need to model it yourself. It's not merely a matter of trying to teach it to people. It's not merely a matter of going out to someone and telling them they need to be like Jesus. Better than that is that you live it and they look at your life and they see it and they are touched by that. And then he says in verses 17 through 20, through this whole process, continually check your motives. Because that's what Paul was constantly doing. I have to, he says, in a sense, I constantly looking at my motives. I'm constantly making certain that the reason I'm courting you is not for my sake and not for my good, because he knew his own heart. I know my heart as a pastor. If you're honest with it, you all know that in your heart is stained with sin. We know that things get off course, even in our relationships that we most hold and treasure dearly, whether it be with a, a spouse or whether it be with our children or whether it be with friends or relatives, it, it can get off course. So he's saying, I'm constantly checking that so that my love is pure. And so it begins, he says, with birth, a personal relationship with Jesus. In order for Christ to be formed in you, he must be birthed in you. There is this coming to an understanding of the fact that it is not a a system of religious activity that we're involved in. It is a relationship with a real being, God, who made himself known through Jesus. And through our faith and understanding of our sin, we enter into this relationship that allows for the Holy Spirit by God himself to be sent into our hearts. Paul thought that this new birth had occurred. He had thought that these people had gotten it. And he was now beginning to wonder, as Mark said, as he was away from them, probably in Antioch, on his computer and looking at Facebook and seeing this, right? Verse 19 tells us, he says, I am again in the pains of childbirth. I thought I already had done this once. And he goes and he ends it by saying, I'm perplexed. I'd love to be with you, but I'm just, I'm, I'm really thrown and torn. I don't understand. I don't get it. I thought you were birthed. But now I wonder. Paul went through incredible pain and struggle. And he says again in the pains of childbirth, he, he, you have to understand that what he did to see these people come to know faith in a personal living relationship with God came out of a lot of hardship. Paul went on this journey and on this journey he went through um, one city after another. He proclaimed Jesus. And at one point we read in Acts 13 and 14 is where this, tri- this, uh, this trip took place. Acts records it. At one point, he is actually ridiculed. They take him out of town in order to stone him. They, they beat him, they stone him, and they leave him for dead. They actually think he's dead. And then from there, he, he, he tells us that as he goes on, there's a certain point where on his way through this journey, he goes through what they call the swamps of Pamphylia, 
was an area that was known that day that when you went through there, there it was mosquito infested. And so the potential for getting malaria was very high. He goes through this whole place. He gets ill. His illness begins to, I think, create some other kind of um, physical things going on in his body that he gets with this condition called ophthalmalia. He had eye problems. It was so his eyes were so red and so puffed up and really, truly pus filled. It was really not a pretty sight at all. Paul goes through this place, knows he's got to get to higher ground in order to get to where these people were. He takes his high, difficult path. It's at that point, John Mark. You see, Barnabas and Luke, thankfully Luke, a doctor, was with them. And John Mark, at least we know those four were on this journey. And at that point, John Mark goes, I'm going home. Too much for me. And Paul is basically saying, you guys... I went through all this to bring to you the gospel that you would have this incredibly great news about this relationship you can have with Jesus. And now, he says, I'm really getting concerned. I'm worried. Verse 8, formally, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I fear for you that somehow I have wasted all this pain and struggle and labor. It's coming to nothing. Can you imagine wives, mothers, being pregnant, going through all those nine months, coming to the very end of it? You think you've given birth, and then someone comes up and goes, you've got to do it again. That's what Paul was feeling. He was experiencing this sense of all this was for nothing. And he continues in verse 8, he says, but now that you know God. Oh, in verse, verse 8, before that, he says, when, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God. His point was this, that before you actually, before I came to you and spoke to you, you basically were following things like the sun and the moon and the stars, those weak, miserable principles. That's what that word can mean for, especially in a Gentile culture. They were things that were based on superstition and religious ritual. They would cut themselves. They would do all kinds of things in order that when doing that, they would, they would give their efforts to somehow be in right relationship with God so that God would somehow bless them. And you know how you live that life? If you, you know what that's like where you, you're in this place where your life and your relationship with God is based on what you think you can do, and, and it's based on superstition, it's based on ritual, it's based on religious activity, and you just kind of wonder, have I had enough quiet times? Have I gone to church enough? Have I given enough? And it's this constant sense of, did I do it? Did I do enough? And then God comes to you through Paul, and Paul gives you this message that you're forgiven, that it's all about God, and it's about God and His love. Your response is just humble faith and trust in this message. What an incredible sense of relief that should be. And Paul continues, but now that you know God, he's supposing, now that you know God, and then Paul, he quickly corrects himself at this point. Because he doesn't want for a second for them to think that any of this relationship is based on what they've done. So that he, he corrects himself and he goes, rather, are known by God. But let's get this really clear. Uh, now that you know God, I mean, rather that you are known by God. He wanted them to know that even their response to God was God finding them, not them finding God. Think about it. 
Paul's exactly right. Remember in Acts chapter 13? The whole process of, of this message coming to these Galatians and Paul coming with Barnabas and, and with Luke and, and, and the group that he went with was based on God. Listen to this. Acts 13 again. Verse 1. In the church in Antioch. It says a few things. And then it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart me for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work I've called them. I I love that because what you have is this church of people. They're not going to church just to, you know, to put in their time and to somehow measure up. They're coming to God saying, God, we worship you like we did this morning. We praise you. We, We want you to know we love you. And they were worshiping and fasting. The reason they were fasting is they were hungering so much for God's work to be evident in their church body family and in their own personal lives. They said, God, we're going to take even some time to just hunger for you. And as they're doing that, as they are hungering for him, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, I got something for you guys. Something that will change the whole world. And part of changing the world is about this little group in this little place called Galatia. Because there's some people there who are trapped. They're bound thinking that they got to cut themselves and do all these different things and, and make sure that they're following the sun, the moon, and the stars and all these things right. And if they just do all these things right, then they'll be good with me. And it's such a trap. It's not what I want for them. So I'm going to send you to them. And he does. That's why Paul says, it's not that even you, you know, but it's rather that you were known by God. And that's true for all of us. None of us. When you really get serious about it, if you if you start to move into the sense that somehow I have a pride that I found God, I did any time you stand on anything other than God and his love and the work and his grace that is operative. Anytime you stand on anything of yourself, it is what we sung in the hymn sinking sand. Right. And so he says, guys, I want you off the sinking sand. I want you remember when you stepped off that you were on the solid ground. And then he gets really concerned, because if you go on in this, it says in verse 9 and 10, he says, now I'm really concerned. You, you formerly were trapped, thought you were standing on solid ground, and now I look again and you're trapped and you're on sinking sand once again. Look at verse 9 and 10. He fears that they're going to basically trade one religious system for another. He doesn't even care if it's the Gentile one and the Jewish Old Testament one. Both systems were to lead you to the grace and provision that comes through Jesus Christ. So he says this. Paul writes, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? He's not now talking about those former ones. He's now talking about the very things he talked about in Galatians just a little bit earlier about the law. The law was these weak and miserable principles. Weak in this sense. It was unable. It did have not the power to transform your heart. The law just gave you the ability to understand that you're a sinner. It judge you so much so that when you recognize how far you were from God, that your sin in your heart was not acceptable and it was not in any way through yourself able to get right with God. When you found yourself trapped, straightjacketed by the truth of your sin, broken, 
I say this because I've had in the last few, I've had in the last two months three different people who have come in. People coming from, some from a different church where they were born and they were raised and baptized and confirmed and married and they went through the whole thing and they're happening, I don't care if you want to call it born again or an awakening. They're awakening to this grace of God and the Holy Spirit operative in their life. Had another person come in who's been a part of this church for a long time, who came in and said, you know, for a long time we've been kind of struggling with this whole thing about the grace and every once in a while you talk about, you know, we're, you know, look around at one another. We all are, you know, sinners and we're, we all um, stand in need. None of us are better than the other. And they came in and they just shared with us, you know what, through what's going on in our life, God has just awakened us to how much we need his grace. God's at work, folks. He is doing things in people's lives. And what Paul is saying here is, don't trade this system that you had for a new system. It's not any better. It's weak. It can't change your heart. It's beggarly. It's poor. It doesn't give you the Holy Spirit and the law of love that guides you in life, that causes you to mature and have the character of Jesus. It never happens through rule-following. And I have to say at this point, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to be very personal. You may have grown up in an evangelical tradition. You may have grown up in this church. You may know what it means to to love God out of your heart and follow him and to do all these things. But you may have never stepped into a personal relationship where it is based on his grace and his love and what's in him. And it's not about you. And I just challenge you to really think that through, because that's what Paul is saying here. You don't want to trade one for the other. You want to move into this place because you are born or awakened to the grace of God in order to grow in a relationship that is full of life and that matures you. Now he goes on and he says, here's how you do it. You model the goal. If you really want to see um, in your children, in, in your grandchildren, if you want to see in those around you that you want to influence, that you love, if you really want to see them become full of God and His grace and His love and to begin to walk in the truth, then you've got to model it yourself. It's got, it's got to be seen. It's time for us to not just tell people about God and Jesus. It's time for us to so live it out in such a rich and full and, and joyful way that people go, I want that. What, you, what you're living is what I want. You see, when you look at what um, Paul is saying here in verse 12, it's one of the most important statements that he makes. And he just he slides by it real quickly, so I don't want you to miss this. It, it's, it, Paul is so excited he's writing right now. He, he, Paul, I think, was a bit like me when I preach. When he gets going, he can, hardly, he can hardly write all the words out. And what you'll find in this situation is he writes one verb to begin with and then a bunch of words, and it, it, it sounds like this, literally translated, be like me for I like you. That's what he wrote. Be like me for I like you. The New International Version translates it well. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. I modeled this life before you. 
And what's interesting, Paul's not merely asking, he's pleading them to follow this. Follow Jesus as he does. When he came to them, he said, that's what I did. I didn't ask you to become a Jew. In fact, I came and I became like you, a Gentile. I gave up all the things that I had in my traditions, all the things that were good, all these things that were of my Jewish background that were not necessarily bad. Some of the things I really enjoy. But because I knew that it would separate me from you so that you wouldn't be able to know the life of God in me, I gave them up. I was willing to set aside some of the things that I grew up with and some of the traditions I had. I set them aside so that through me, you would begin to be able to relate to me as a Gentile to a Gentile so that through that that, that life, you would then get to know the Jesus who fills me and frees me to live. And so this principle that Paul brings before us at this point is one that he talks much about throughout Scripture. First Corinthians chapter nine, verses 20 through 22. It's the same principle. He says in verse 20 to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews to those under the law. I became like one under the law, though I want you to know I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, verse 21 to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. I want you to know that I'm not a lawless person. In fact, there's a new law that rules in my heart. It's the love of God that comes through the Holy Spirit. So as to win those not having the law, verse 22, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Embedded in Galatians 4.12 is this far-reaching principle of what I call utmost importance. It actually explains the heart of God and all who have God's heart. If someone is to know Jesus that we know, then we better be the Jesus they want to know. If we want someone to understand the life we've experienced with Jesus, then we better understand and relate to their life without Jesus. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came, and when he came, he became, God became a man through Jesus. And Jesus, he didn't spend his time with the religious group, the Pharisees. He spent most of his time with those who were hungry and were broken and needed him. He spent his time with the, quote, sinners who were hopeless. The law had allowed for them to see, as they looked at the Pharisees, that they didn't stand a chance. And so he came to them and said, good news, guys. It's not about measuring up. It's about God and his grace. And he loves you, if you trust that. Because you already recognize your sinners. That's one of the problems people say. Well, you know, you've got to tell people to repent. You've got to tell them sinners. You know, we live in a culture with a lot of people who are so filled with shame and so know they're separated from God that they don't understand this incredible truth of the grace of God. That he deeply loves them. And that it is his love that can change their heart as you model it. What's really interesting is when I was in seminary, I remember in the missions time, I was reading a lot of things about missions. One of the guys who captivated my heart was Hudson Taylor. He was a person who had a heart for God. He revolutionized missions, this whole idea of going to other cultures. He went to this culture in China. I remember even when I was reading about it, he, he, one of the things he struggled with as a young man, he wasn't married, was going to China and thinking there was no way he could ever find a wife. Because there were no... People like him in that sense, and he, he, he went, and it's really neat, the sovereignty of God, because the sovereignty of God, he went there, committed it to God, he started working. At one point, he um, went to another missions place, and when he was there, 
it just so happens there was one person there and their hearts, um, it, it, God had a match made in heaven for them. He goes back into that missions thing. He's been struggling in this missions agency for a number of years as he's been trying to bring the gospel to those in China. And he can't seem to get the gospel across to them. He's wearing a suit. He's wearing all the Western clothing, just like all the other missionaries who had been there for a number of years. So in his time of prayer, he keeps laboring before God, saying, God, should I even stay here? My ministry, no one's coming to know you. No one's receiving you. And as he was praying, it was like God just began to speak to him and said, you, you want them to know the life in you You want them to relate to me. You have to relate to them. And so he did something that was unheard of in that day, and that was he took off his his Western garb and he began to dress like they did. He began to eat like they did. He began to look and to, to mill around with them just like they were. And then people began to soften their hearts, open their lives to him. They began He began to have these personal relationships. And when he began to share the gospel, people began to come to Jesus. Because he was willing to get rid of the stuff that got in the way of Jesus so that they could relate to them him in this way so they could come to know Jesus. And you know what happened to him? A whole lot of missionaries were so offended that he would take off his western suit and he would not eat the meals that they ate and that he would begin to... It, they rejected him. And Paul is basically giving a principle that I think God is allowing us to begin to do as we say, God, we want to relate to this culture. We want to relate to these people. We want people to know the life that's in us. And so he goes on, he says, you've done me no wrong, verse, end of verse 12. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God. Is if I were Christ Jesus himself, what happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul has no complaint against you. You've done me wrong. In fact, he says, I became like you and you received me like God would. Isn't it amazing sometimes that people that are outside the faith when they start moving into the Spirit and God begins to work, that they sometimes can display the grace and love of God better than we can, and we've been in it for years. And and that's almost what he's saying here. Verse 13, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. It's an infirmity of the flesh, a bodily ailment. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says he speaks of the thorn in his flesh. I believe what he's referring to at this point in his life. I think as he went through there, many scholars believe that he got malaria, and as a result of malaria, his body being weakened, he also then had troubles with his eyes, so that when he showed up there, he looked monstrous. I mean, he's not the guy you would sit and go, boy, let's listen to him for hours. You can hardly look at him. And Paul says, you received me. You received me like I was an angel. You received me as if it was Jesus Christ himself coming to your presence. And he's wondering, what happened? Verse 14, Paul says, I was a pain, yet you didn't treat me as a pain or a bother. You could have rejected me. The word, he says, treat me with contempt or scorn. You know what it means? It's the the idea of such loathing that you spit that person out. And you didn't do that to me. You treated me as a special guest, as if an angel was visiting you. You did what Jesus did. If we want 
people to be formed like Jesus. Not only do we have to to move into that relationship of grace and understand that experience, but we actually have to live in it so that people want it. I think that's exactly how the prodigal son felt when he was expected to be treated like a renegade and hoped to be accepted as a servant, but instead was celebrated as a son who got lost and found his way home. And when he comes back, the father says, grill the steaks, grab the best suit that I have and get him my platinum credit card. That's how I want you to treat him. I want you to treat these people who are broken by their sin, who understand their need, who have come to this place where they feel so far removed from, from his presence. Don't treat them with scorn and don't reject them. Don't spit on them. Don't go, boy, if they would just follow the way we believe, go out and love them. And you know what? When you love them like Paul does, you're going to find sometimes they may respond to you and then later not. And, and that's, a hard, that's a hard thing to do, Right? If some of you have that with children that you've loved, you invested your life in, and you've hoped that they would come out and turn out a certain way, and they haven't, and now you're in the hard work of calling upon God to love them through you. And he says through all this, he says, you treat me like this, Galatians 4.15, then he says, why, what happened, what changed? You know what changes? Whenever the law, whenever we start living legalistically, whenever the law pollutes grace, our hearts churn. And so then he goes on in the last few verses, verse 17, he says, those people are zealous to win you over. He basically says their motives are no good. You've got to get it into your mind. They are not caring about you. But I want you to know, as he goes on through the rest of this passage, and he says, um, you know, they want to alienate you from us, but I'm zealous for you. I want you to know God. Paul's goal was simple, that they would become mature followers of Jesus Christ with the character of Christ in their heart. And I think Paul is basically saying to them, never ever become dependent upon some other spiritual leader. You have a leader in Jesus Christ and stay in that relationship of grace, move in that relation of grace. God, when the time was right, sent his son. And then he says, sent the spirit of his son into what? Your heart. And what I think is so interesting about this is Paul is writing to a group of people. They didn't carry the New Testament around with them. They were lucky to have in their city, in their synagogue, enough Old Testament books to read. This is a scary thing when you think about it. Paul is saying to these people, you have been given the Holy Spirit. You are in relationship with him. You have now the ability as your heart remains soft and you walk in the grace of God and you stay in relationship with one another and you don't reject the truth like Paul is saying. Don't let someone who shares truth you become an enemy. Listen to the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God lives in you. It's very similar to what John says in 1 John. Listen to what he says to a church back around 70, 80 A.D. He's writing to this group of people where false teachers have cut in on them. Listen to these words. 1 John 2, 26 and 27. He says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit, you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. That's amazing. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. That is the goal, that we are to remain in his purpose and his love. 
So often what happens, I think, in the, in the church today is no different than it was in the past. You find a charismatic leader who tells you exactly how to live, and then you try and follow those rules. God has one purpose for every person in this place right here today, and that is that the character of Jesus will be so formed in you that you will become mature, that the, the law of his love will guide your life as you are in right relationship with other people, as you hunger to know his word. All those things happen when the Holy Spirit begins to birth itself in you. Parents, do you want, when your child graduates someday, do you want them to be walking around with a guidebook of rules so that they live their life right? Do you want them calling you all the time on every little decision? No. What you want is for Jesus to be formed in their heart in a relationship with the Holy Spirit with these things of of people around them who love God, who also speak into their life, and all the Word of God connected around them as well so that they begin to walk in the fullness of who God has birthed in them to be. That's what God wants. And man, when a body is full of the character of Christ with the Spirit of God alive in them, watch out. The love of God will transform, will transform hearts in ways that you could never imagine. Let's pray. Father, I have more to say, but I just want to say, God, take these words, set us free. Set us free to walk with you, to love you. You have given us every resource we need to follow you and become mature and complete in you. Now, God, give us the hunger that that church in Antioch had to hunger and fast to know you and to allow you to lead and guide and dwell within us and to create us to be like you, Jesus, free to love and free to serve and free to give glory to your Father in heaven. Amen.